0: mobile business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg
1: Business Flash.
0: I'm Doug Krisner in New York at Bloomberg World Headquarters. It is uh, 47 past the hour now. Let's get you caught up on market action. A mixed session for the equity market on the last day of the second quarter, trading on the light side as you would expect going into the holiday weekend, even though the markets will be uh, having an abbreviated session on Monday. Here's a question. So if the Russia collusion story has faded into the background. Does that necessarily mean the market's betting that the Trump economic agenda is back on track? Many of the industrial names were higher today. That helped to lead the S&P 500 up by about uh, two-tenths of one percent. And look at what happened to long-term interest rates. Yes, we had a hawkish tone from many of the central bankers uh, this week, but the 10-year Treasury last quoted in New York at a yield of 2.30 percent of about four basis points. Consumer stocks benefited from uh, better-than-expected earnings at Nike. Uh, Nike stock today up by 11 percent. The earnings, as I mentioned, above forecast. So, too, was uh, the revenue. And Nike is also announcing a deal with uh, Amazon to sell sneakers online. Nike shares helping the Dow ahead uh, three-tenths of one percent. NASDAQ composite, though, uh, down about one-tenth of one percent. Some of the computer-related names uh, that were buffeted this week uh, ended lower. Over-the-counter composite uh, still For the first six months of the year is up about 14%. Data from Baker Hughes showing that the U.S. oil rig count fell last week for the first time in January. It ignited a fire in uh, oil. WTI picking up about two and a half percent. We closed at 46.06 and for the week, New York crude up seven percent. You're caught up on markets. Let's get back to Corey and Carol.
1: Fire and oil. Very nice, Doug. Very nice. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio.
2: Red wine, one of my three favorite colors of wines. (laughs) white and Uh, rosé. Robin Lale joins us right now. She's founder and owner of Lale Vineyards. Uh, to talk about the wine business and issues, kind of to bring some wine here into our AM 960
1: studio. Notice, listeners, loyal listeners at Bloomberg Radio. This is not the first time Corey has engineered a wine segment. Last segment on it's a It's all Friday, a and this. they're in our Bloomberg 960 studio, not in our New York studio. I'm, I'm, yes, there you go. Yeah, but thanks uh, very much, partner.
2: Ro- I, I tried. You've, you've done the same thing before, <laughs> um, <laughs> Robert. I'm for pour- As I pour this glass of yourself, in a for you. And for me, tell me about your history in the wine business. Is, is goes back a little ways.
3: It does actually. Um, we have a unique story in Napa Valley, and my family started making wine in 1879. And my great-granduncle was a man named Gustav Niebaum, who uh, founded Inglenook Vineyards in that year and uh, became one of the uh, real leaders of the early wine movement in Napa Valley, which was much larger than one might think. There were over 200 wineries there before the turn of the 20th century. I did
2: not know it was that big? A big
3: because people just don't, you know, I mean, you just don't even begin to think it. There were 40,000 acres planted to grapes.
2: Now, what would, what were the wines, what was the wine business of that era?
3: Well, the wine business of that era was similar to the wine business of post-prohibition, and that was that there were multiple varietals being made um, at that time. Such as? Well, at that time they were still being called burgundies and um, clarets and so forth. Right. Um, following prohibition, not so much. But um, so, for instance, there, Inglenook was making some fourteen different varietals. Which included Pinot Noir, included Cabernet, included um, um, Chardonnay, included Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, it was just a was host- in vanilla
2: in, in Napa at that point.
3: Um, Yes, it was.
2: Interesting. Um, And and, uh, that Inglenook business was a weird, you what I was sharing before we started, uh, my friend Victor Govenda, my choir director, brought me a a 1962 uh, Inglenook Cabernet uh, uh, last year, which we drank. It was cork. We still drank it. It was wonderful. But but those are some terrific wines going back there, even into the 60s and before.
3: That's exactly right. And so I've had the opportunity to taste wines from um, before the turn of the 20th century, and, um, sometimes they're brown and, uh, no good whatsoever, but sometimes, um, for instance, we tried, um, 1897 Cabernet Sauvignon, which had been, um, um, cared for by the Russian National Symphony Orchestra, which is so interesting because Nibom was the Russian vice-consul to San Francisco, among other things. Really? And these wines from 1897 were stunning. They were stunning. They were beautiful. They had character. They had structure. They had color. They didn't blow off in the glass. It was one of the most outrageous experiences I've ever had, and the wines made by my father are legendary today. It's fascinating to look at the history and going all the way back to your great uh, grand uncle.
1: What was it like to grow up on the Inglenook estate? That was your home. What was it
3: like? It was magical. Yeah, I bet <laughs> it really was. Um, For people
2: visiting the Napa Valley now, that's the Coppola Vineyard is, is in mm-hmm. that same location right now, and with that spectacular place and
3: right, right. And, so, I mean, the, first of all, the land's so beautiful. There's seventeen hundred acres of land there. And um, I was a bit isolated, actually, because my mother um, took a vacation, which lasted for four or five years, I think, <laughs> and then um, came back and wasn't of the mind to have me have little friends over. So I spent a lot of time uh, riding my horse and my pony earlier and hiking the property and hiking the vineyards and looking for Indian artifacts in the vineyards and and going with my father through the vineyards um, on a Sunday afternoon at four miles an hour it used to make me crazy when I was a little girl. <laughs> and he would say on the right, please notice the shape of the leaf of the Cabernet and on the left is the Chardonnay and it's a different shape and it was marvelous and um You liked it then? I, you, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you grew, Fair. but it, but did kids
2: you? Kids are annoyed I, by their parents at <laughs> all. These, well, I just children. think about
1: those things we like to share, right, with our, with our kids and hopefully pass on. But, I mean, it, something stood with you, right, that you've continued on in this.
3: Oh my goodness. Well, one of the things that my father did was that he was a great traditionalist. And so he trained us, my sister and I, um, very intensively in the lore of our heritage which was quite unique and so uh, because today for instance I'm the only fourth generation vintner in Napa Valley so our family has ma- been making wine in the valley for over 135 years and we now have six generations into the into the mix but my dad um was Marvelous. He was a Renaissance gentleman. He was very much a leader in the, in the business and he saw himself as a caretaker of the property, which is interesting. And he used to say a terrible thing that you will never say to your children or you should be ashamed of yourself. And that is someday all this will be yours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how life goes. It doesn't always follow the script the way you want it to. And uh, so that's uh, what happened and things happened and it wasn't. Ours. And so Inglenook was sold in 1964. Mm. And I thought my mother had demanded that we be raised, my sister and I, in the Mormon church. So I thought there would be no wine for me in my life. You know, we were allowed to smell the wine at the dinner table, but not to drink it. Mm. And um, the wine room was sold when I was 24. And I thought that was that. But you know, you can't grow up surrounded by this marvelous man and his, and his leadership and the beauty of the place without wanting to go on. And so,
2: with just about thirty seconds here. Uh, you've launched your own winery now. The, uh, this this of uh, Vineyard with the Sauvignon Blanc and the Cabernet the sort of the two great, arguably the two great wines out of Napa Valley. Uh, where are you growing your grapes now?
3: We grow our grapes. We're dumb celled on Hull Mountain, but we have um, a collection of small small vineyards around the valley.
2: And why these two grapes?
3: Why these two grapes? We're we're a Bordeaux wine varietal. Producer And so they thrive in this area of the valley, in this Mediterranean climate.
2: Well, this, the Saint Blanc's nice. I'll, we'll get to the Cabernet Sauvignon in a minute, Carol, sorry you're missing out on the whole thing.
3: <laughs> hey, listen, uh
1: thank you so much, Robin. We appreciate it. We do want to update everybody on a shooting at a hospital in the Bronx. A law enforcement official telling the AP, the gunman who opened fire at a New York City hospital with a doctor who formerly worked there. The official says Dr. Henry Bella walked into Bronx, Lebanon, hospital with a rifle concealed in his lab coat and opened fire, killing it at least one person.